right, welcome back, though. Let's talk about it. I am your host, Edward Crawley Jr., and this is the King Crawley Network. Before we continue, I ask that you take a second to hit the subscribe button. Join into the conversations. You know, leave comments, leave likes, you know, hit that thumbs up button. You know, that helps the algorithm. That gets you engaged in the conversation and helps push the uh, conversation even further along. All right, now before I continue, I want to do as I set, set out to do from the start. And that's why I want to promote good businesses. They just happen to be black-owned. Uh, I started out doing it, and I said I would continue. So right here, I want to interject an ad. Like I said, some would be local, some would be more broad. But either way, I'm going to give it to you. Check it out. I'll be right back. So the first one on the list is Sweet and Elegant Delights. The website is www.sweetandelegantdelights.com. Now, I won't try to go all in the detail to describe everything that she does with this business, but I can tell you, if you're getting married, if you got a baby shower, if you have a retirement party, a birthday party, hell, even if you're just going to pick up your birth certificate and need a cake, and I'm not just talking about no Duncan Hines, some out the store, I'm talking about cake to the highest level then you need to contact Sweet and Elegant Delights. Now, that is not all that she does, but as I said, I don't want to begin speaking on everything she does and take away from what she does. I want you to go to the Instagram, go to the Facebook, Sweet and Elegant Delights, and you can check it out for yourself. I don't have to try to sell it to you. When you see it, that's the sale. You'll know, oh, she's about her business. The telephone number, the business number is 434 434- Two six two zero one three eight. Once again, that's sweet and elegant delights. All right, welcome back. Welcome back. All right, we're gonna get right into it. Dating be trash. Now I won't say I came up with that title all by myself. You know, I was inspired by um some people that I follow. You know, you're probably familiar. You Kev on stage, his wife, mom, Miss Kev on stage. They just put out a book called Marriage Be Hard. Now I could speak on that from my past situations, but I'm not married right now. So I can only speak on it from, you know, the perspective of one that's dating or will date or, you know, whatever the case may be dating be hard. And what I want to do today is give about five things that you should consider prior to going into dating someone to seriously dating someone. A lot of us weren't told, the questions to ask, the things to do. You know, we came up possibly thinking that things like asking a person, what's your middle name? What's your favorite color? What you like to eat? What you like to do? And and when those things line up, we start saying stuff like, oh, we got a lot in common. No, that's regular stuff. You know, the places that they go, the things that they do, that's like regular stuff that people do anyway. I want to get into some of the questions that nobody ever told us to ask or to consider before going into a serious relationship. You know, my background is, you know, church. So I saw relationships from that lens and all that we got was the Bible, scriptures, cliches, um, trust God, you know, Lean not on your own understanding. 
we got a lot of stuff that sounded good, but we didn't get the information that we needed. So I just want to offer five little things and they might not be considered little, but five things that you should consider or things that you should ask and observe before seriously getting into a relationship with anyone. This can apply to men or women. So I'm a man speaking about my situations with women, but a lot of these things can be applied from women going towards men as well. Let's get into it. Okay. The first thing you want to consider, or one of the things that you want to consider the person's background. <laughs> Did they come from a two parent household or one? Either way, if they came from a two-parent household, how did they relate to their mother? How now do they relate to their father if they still have both of their parents here with them? What was that relationship like growing up? And what is it like now as you observe them as an adult? If you came up in a single-parent household, um, most in single-parent households come up with mothers, but some come up with their fathers. What was that dynamic like? Okay, in the one with the two-parent household, in some regards, you get, even if very limited, you get some view of what marriage can be like. And if you grew up with the one parent, you get some idea of what single life and possibly dating could be like. When you're going to look for a mate, you need to understand that that person's point of reference. What did they come up seeing? What did they come up hearing? Okay, in my adult years, I, I know, okay, for an example, I know one lady, you know, that I, I was cool with. Her and her mother talk every day. No matter what is going on throughout the day, before she closes her eyes and gets into bed, even if they only stay on the phone a minute, she's going to call and talk to her mother. That relationship, because it's a healthy relationship, I've seen how that has benefited her in her adulthood in the way she carries herself in the way she presents herself in on the job and personal situations and business. I'll see how that connection, that healthy connection with her mother has been a benefit in her adulthood. On the opposite side, I've literally been in the presence of mothers telling their daughters. I wish I had had all sons. And their daughter be in the, in the room when you say that. And I see how that dynamic of them constantly going back and forth, how that presented their, itself in their adult years. And I'm not saying you're going to take up everything from either side. But because that was what you came up in, that was the environment, that was your point of reference. Even without trying to, you know, how many times you, you are... Whether you fussing or, you know, whatever the case may be, you say a phrase out of your mouth to your child and immediately you said, I sound like my daddy. That was my mama talking. You didn't mean to. You might not have had the closest or the best or whatever relationship with that parent. But at some point, you're going to say something out of your mouth and you're going to hear your you're going to actually hear your parents voice as you're saying it. So your environment does play a part. Now, there are exceptions to the rule where, you know, everybody doesn't come up 
totally damaged by a da- an unhealthy relationship. I know some that grew up in, you know, their parents might have been into the streets or been alcoholics or whatever. And because it was so bad, they said, when I get older, I'm going the other way. I'm not drinking. I'm not smoking. I'm not doing any of those things. You know, now, even with that, they still picked up something, but they chose not to go down that path just because that's the environment that, that they came up in. So so your background, you, you, you want to see. Okay, when 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 you when you hear them on the phone with their with their parents, what does that conversation sound like? When they're around their parents, what does that interaction sound and look like? When they reference them, what does that sound like? Because that gives you some type of insight into who you who you'll be dealing with. If they came up in an unhealthy relation environment, yes, they may be the exception and choose to go totally the other way, but they're going to wear a lot of that. Unless they do certain things to work through that, they're going to wear a lot of the environment that they grew up in because they won't necessarily see it as a bad thing because that's all they knew. You know, on the other hand, like I was saying, if it was a good situation, you need to just observe, see where they're coming from. Okay. Once you observe that, you need to know how much they like to have sex. Yep, you sure do. You need to know how much they like busting it wide open or slanging it. You you need to know that. And I'm being funny, but but for real, though. I know of situations where everything on the surface seems like it's good. The husband works, gets a check. The wife does what she does, gets her money. They got a house, you know. As far as bills and things like that, that's good. They go out, they take trips. All of the things on the surface that seem like they make a good relationship because a lot of the things that people struggle with every day, they don't have the financial worries and this and that. But he ain't fucking a good. Yeah, I just said that. He he not he not giving it to her, right? So that becomes a problem. And and that with all the other things going right, that still leads them to want to step out and get that need met. So that's what I was saying. Going in, like know the level you're going to have to perform at to keep up with your partner. Straight to the point. If you're dealing with a woman that loves to have sex, you can't come in halfway having sex with her and expect to just go for years and years and years and that just be cool. And men... If you encounter that type of woman, start jogging or doing push-ups or something because you're going to have a lot of work to do. I remember one girl I was dating, and this is when I realized, you know, men are not, we freaky, I'm a freak, you know, I do all the things. But until you actually really dealt with a nympho, you, ain't know, you, 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 you don't know what you're talking about. 
that's when I realized, man, you know, we can do all we do. You can eat it up. You can beat it up. You can't outfuck a woman. You, you can't. You can't. I remember I was in one situation, and I'm not saying this trying to exaggerate. I ain't even saying this to try to make myself look good or nothing. I was actually slightly traumatized after it. I mean, I loved it. But operating at that level for that long can do something to you. It was nothing to go five times a day, every day. I ain't talking about five times a day, two days. I'm talking about you having sex multiple times every single day. Now, that sounds lovely. That sounds, it sounds good. Until you got to do it. And and then it almost becomes like a job. Because you like, good gracious. At that point, I was like, I didn't even know people could have this much sex. Let me do some different things. Let me be. I almost said something that would have gave some away, so I ain't going to say that. Let me change up some things so that I can be in, in, in shape to be able to perform at the level that I need to. Now, I kept up. Don't get it twisted, but I was a little older than her, so it was a task. But as I was saying. Either know it going in or once you learn it, you're going to have to adjust to that because as much as people try to act like sex ain't a big part of a relationship. Yes, it is. If the sex ain't good, I don't care if the bills are paid. If the sex ain't good, I don't care what watch you bought me. I don't care about this cologne. The cologne smell good, but I want some pook, some cush coochie. I want some pussy, baby. Vagina. That's what I want. You don't care about the roses and, you know, like you say, the diamond rings and all this. The, the, he got you some Fenty this and, you know, Balenciaga that. You want some dangling. You want them all up in your stomach muscle area. You know, that's what you want. So all that other stuff is good, but if you ain't getting that, it's going to be a problem. Also, on the flip side of that, though, you need to know, know if they have a low sex drive because that can be a problem. Like me, I ain't going to say I'm no. Well, I kept up with her so I could keep up with a nympho. But on a regular, I'm just I'm a freak. I'm freaky. I'm a Virgo. I do what I do. So I'm going to want me some. Once or twice a day is not too much for me. At 43, I'm still look, I drink my green juice. I take my vitamins. I drink my water. All them other guys talking about they thing to stop working at 40-something. They on drugs or something. Because I'm good. So what I'm saying is, on the reverse, you can't be low sexual desire either. Because that's going to be an issue. That's going to lead me to want to get a need met. You feel me? So you need to know both sides to decide if that's something you can really deal with. The background, the sexual desires, these are things that will operate or be a part or play a part throughout the whole relationship. That's two of them. Okay, let's get to three. Conflict resolution. When situations come up, whether big, whether small, how do they handle conflict? Do they snap? 
Are they violent? They re- react violently. Do they panic? Are they a warrior? Or do they just shut down? You know, I've I've dealt with a few different kind. I dealt with one that because her mama taught her to to be a fighter. When conflicts got too serious, I mean, one time she just swung on me. Thankfully, you know, I was able to and get out the way. Didn't hit her, but I was able to divert the punch. But that was how she knew to resolve conflict. I know I can fight, so I'm going to fight you, man or woman. I'm not that good with putting my words together. I get frustrated. So this is what I was taught from my background. So when it gets to a certain level, I'm swinging. Are you one that panics? You know, you got a flat tire and you just, you know, it is something to be worried about depending on what area you're in. But sometimes you have to slow it down to go faster. When you panic, you begin to, your heart begins to race, your thoughts begin to race. Everything begins moving so fast that you're not able to get much done. You actually might end up making more mistakes in the midst of your your uneasiness than if you're slowing down. I was listening to a podcast the other day. Um, it was with the guy that actually killed Bin Laden. And he was talking about the, some of the Navy SEAL training that he went through and how they would tie him up hands and foot, throw him in the water. And he said at some point when they did that, I just got comfortable because I realized if I panic, there's nothing I can do. So I might as well stay calm and begin to try to get myself a loose because if I panic, I have no chance. There's already nothing I can do other than try to get a loose. So panicking is the total opposite of what's going to help me out of this situation. You know, so you need to know how do they react? Are they a worrier? Does everything worry them? Um, I know one person that's a little older and every time you talk to them, they're worried about something. It could be the most minuscule thing, but they present what they're saying as if they're worried about it. They could just state what they're saying. But it's almost always stated from a place of concern. Like, I have to do this. This has to get done. I'm like, it's not really that deep for you to put that that weight on yourself of worry trying to figure it out. I heard Steve Harvey say something, and I'm going to paraphrase it. But he was saying something to the fact that you have a 100% success rate against your bad days. So as many bad days as you've had, you're still here. That means you have a hundred percent success rate. So when you get to panicking and, and worrying, you need to stop sometimes because it affects us all. Sometimes, you know, I'm a trucker. I'm out here by myself. I'm in Iowa right now by myself. I, I've been out here trucking almost six years. And, and once you go through some things, it'll, It'll really show you whether you're made for trucking or whether you're not. And I've been out here almost six years and I'm still out here. With that being said, every bad situation that I've went through, that I've faced. I made it through it. So. When you lost that job, think think back to yourself. I lost that job. I made it through it. 
I lost a loved one. And it hurt, broke my heart. I didn't know how I was going to make it through it, but I'm still here. I made it through it. Relationships I've lost, broke my heart. Thought I won't never get myself together. I made it through it. I'm still here. For you to be worried in this moment right now is an insult to everything you've done because you're still here. You made it. Stop worrying. Let that instill some confidence in yourself. Like, yeah, I can do this. I've, I've did it then. I did it then. I did it then. Every time it came up, I didn't know I was going to make it and I made it through it. I'm still here. But you need to know if that's the type of person that you have. Does everything get them shook up? Or do they just shut down? Some people, whenever any type of conflict comes up. And it's not blaming, not blaming them. But something more than likely from their past. Has triggered them to shut down. Some do it because of all of the craziness that they seen coming up. It makes them go into a shell. And then some do it because of their own craziness. They know if I don't shut down, I'm going to lose it. And won't none of this be worth it anymore. So I'm a, until I can get to a point where I know how to articulate my feelings. I'm going to shut down. Now for the partner, that's going to be frustrating because you might be with a partner that loves to talk it out and initiate conversations. And you over here shut down. You need to know if that's a part of their, their repertoire, the part of their makeup, you know, their belief system that goes back into the background Were they religious? Were they non-religious? If they were religious, you know, especially over here in, in America, it's different options, but number one and two seem to be Christian, Muslim. So did they come from either one of those backgrounds? Okay, myself, I came from the Christian background, so even within the Christian background, did they come from a particular denomination? Or were they non-denominational? Were they Baptists? Were they Southern Baptists? Were they Pentecostal? Were they charismatic? All of these things play a part because all of these play a part in how their view of the creator and their destiny and their, their purpose and all of that was shaped through that. You know, I spoke about it on other podcasts, how a lot of times, you know, especially us in the, you know, church of God in Christ, in the area I'm from, we didn't really look at the Baptist people as, as if they were really saved because, you know, during the offering or whatever period during church, you might step outside to run to the car or something. You'll see a deacon on the side of the church smoking a cigarette. And us, we were like, you are going to hell. Or you might know, you know, such and such, you know, they take a sip. They, they, they drink. And they ain't really hidden. They don't do it disrespectfully, but it's not like a secret. So we like, you're going to hell. Not realizing, not even seeing the, the the mess we were doing over here that won't right, but because this was more visible, you're going to hell. But as I was saying, that shapes how a person sees life, how they see relationships, how they see love, how they see family, how they approach so many things 
is shaped by their belief system. You know, you, you want to be mindful of that. Think about how many people in church that you might know personally that have marriage issues or have gotten divorced. We serve in the same God coming up in the same situation. Why are we not on the same page? Well, possibly, yeah, you all might have come together at this point, but what did you start at? You might have started Church of God in Christ. They might have started Seven Day Adventist. Now, along the path, you know, you found your way to each other through some, you know, whether it's college, whether it's a job, whether it's the strip club, whatever it was, you, you found your way together and you found God together and decided this is the church we're going to go to. Now you're trying to agree on, you know, what's going on here, but you're pulling from where you're coming from. Because everything that may not line up with where, what you were taught, you have to now weigh that. And weigh that against what you're being taught and then weigh it against what your partner might have been taught. I hope you're following what I'm saying. This is how so many in the church end up getting divorced because, yeah, on the surface, it looks like we're in the same place. But where did we come from? Where did our path lead us? So just because we decide to stop at this rest area. You might have came from one direction. You might have came off a secondary road. I might have been on the main highway. We just both decided to stop here. But you saw different things on that secondary road that I didn't see on the highway and vice versa. And that shapes how we saw the journey. So, yeah, we both at this rest stop, but we saw different things getting here. So as we talk about it, it's going to be some some differences in that. I I, I really hope y'all follow me because I'm I'm really. I'm thinking it makes sense. A lot of times I don't know till I go back and do my edits to, to know if everything was congruent and flowed and all of that good stuff. How do you define monogamy? How do you define monogamy? To my understanding, a monogamous relationship is one man, one woman. They make some type of um, bond some type of agreements whether they do it the legal route or whether just you know whether they were this bond but their connection is to each other their intimate situations are with each other their sexual relationships are with each other but what I've found is nowadays yeah, it's monogamy, but it's monogamy 1A, monogamy 1B. I had one situation where a young lady that I was interested in, she was telling me, you know, that if she was with a man, she felt like, because, you know, she was bisexual, she liked girls too. A lot of women that I've dealt with, you know, and that's so that's cool. I'm not knocking that part. It's actually whatever. She felt like when she got the urge that she could step out and be sexual with a woman. So my question to her was, all right, so we can all mix it up together then, right? She was like, no, you got to go be with a dude. I said, what the fuck? I was like, I'm not gay. She's like, but but that's that's only fair. That's only right. She was actually trying to convince me that her methodology about 
a monogamous relationship was right. So I get to just be with you sexually. Now you won't be with another man, but you will be with another woman. But if I want to be with somebody else sexually, I got to be with another man. But then they wonder why they have so much conflict in finding the right person or somebody to want to be with them. Yeah, I'm not going to say nobody will accept that, but not under the rules in which you not under the label in which you present it. If you're presenting this as a monogamous relationship. Then some of that stuff that you're presenting does not fall under monogamy. OK, I had another one. I'm sure by now a lot of y'all women have seen those little freaking massages the guys give. The gal, I don't know how many dudes do it. I don't keep up with it, but I've seen it. And, and she was feeling like that it was okay. In a monogamous relationship, for her to go out and get all rubbed down and turned on and all this by some other dude and then come home and have sex with me. I said, I said, so it's okay if I just go out to lunch with my coworker every day then, right? And she couldn't say nothing. I was like, we're not having sex. We just, we just going out to lunch. You actually want to go get rubbed on. I'm just going out to lunch with my coworker every day or whenever I, I want to. And then I'm going to come home turned on by her and have sex with you. And that's supposed to make sense in a monogamous relationship. Now, if, like I say, if you want to define it somewhere else, don't consider it monogamous. Because the things that some of y'all are trying to include inside a monogamous relationship is not what monogamy is. Find whoever you want to to disagree and to take your side and agree with what, 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 what you're saying. But the way you're trying to present it is not what monogamy is. And some of that is why we're having difficulties in relationships because you come across people even with different definitions of what a monogamous relationship is supposed to be. And that makes no sense. If I'm with you and you're with me, our duty is to protect this house, the physical house and the figurative house of our relationship. You don't let nobody in from the outside stimulate you that way and then think you're going to come home and I'm just cool with that. Now, if you turned on by somebody while you're out there, I don't need to know it. You ain't got to come home like, man, I saw this nigga with a big dick print. Girl, have you lost your fucking mind? Like, for real. A lot of us need to do more self-examination and ask ourselves, is what I'm expecting even realistic in the world we live in today? Not saying that it never was realistic, but some of the things that get brought up or expected in today's times. I almost think y'all watch too many Disney movies and y'all think that Cinderella and all that stuff is like real. Yes, relationships are supposed to be beautiful and fulfilling and mind blowing sex and but ask yourself, you know, is what you're expecting that. realistic? Is it even fair? Where did those expectations come from? And are those expectations uh, do or die type of expectations? 
deal breaker type of expectations? Or are some of them just your own freaky desires that need to be managed and controlled once you're in a monogamous relationship? Because yes, everywhere you go, there you are. But when you're trying to go there with someone else, you have to remember that whatever you bring into them, it has to be balanced out within the confines of that monogamous relationship. Now, I'm not saying a monogamous relationship is the only type you should have. I'm not against the polyamorous lifestyle. I'm not against the homosexual lifestyle, the gay lifestyle, lesbian, all of that. Whoever you choose to have sex with ain't none of my business. I like vagina. But if you like other things, I'm not here to condemn that. But if we're speaking on one man, one woman right now, then a lot of that stuff that y'all been bringing into the mix doesn't mix well. So as I was saying, a few things to consider. Your background. Your sexual desires. Your conflict resolution. Your belief system. And, and, and your definition of monogamy. Think about those. I'm hoping, you know, I, I dropped at least one or two crumbs that you can pick up. Something for you to consider. As I said before, I don't have all the answers. But I'm just presenting some of the things I've learned, some of the questions I still have, and some of the information I come across and hope that it is a benefit to you. Anyway, relationships, religion, business, that's what we own. I'll holler at y'all next time. Peace.